0: We all have prized possessions as children. Those things, and maybe it's been a long time since, time since you've thought of this thing, but those things that we hold on to, those things that go everywhere with us, and maybe you have kids and you know right now exactly what that thing is, that if that thing goes missing, mom and dad are in trouble. It's going to be a long day if you can't find whatever it is. Whether it's a blanket, a toy, a doll, a stuffy. Whatever it is, we all had things that we just held on to for dear life when we were a kid. For me, it was my brother's thing actually. He had a knockoff little toy dinosaur that looked like Barney, but it was, you know, the knockoff version and I loved that thing. And I think my parents even bought me a real licensed Barney dinosaur and I didn't want it. I wanted my brother's. Because it was just so cute and cuddly and I loved it. And I held on to that thing probably too long. And I have five nieces and I have one nephew and they're all starting to get their things. Some of them are now kind of growing out of them. Some of them are just babies now, and they have their things. Uh, my brother, Derek, whenever he leaves the house, I don't know if they still have to do this, but in order for my niece to go to daycare and leave Barry the Bear, they have to have a whole ceremony where they wave goodbye to Barry and, we'll see you tonight, Barry. See you later, Barry. Bye, Barry. And they make a whole ceremony, and then they come home and right back to Barry. Uh, my younger... Nephew Ryder, my brother Kyle, he had a blanket and he would always put his fingers into the blanket. It was a knitted blanket and he would make holes in the blanket, which drove my parents crazy. And he has a one year old Ryder who is already making holes in his blankets <laughs> that he holds on to for dear life. Um, but I have five nieces and one of them, they're older, four of them are older now. My sister had four kids and I won't out the one of that I'm talking about this morning because they're a bit older. But um, One of them was obsessed with Babu. Now, Babu was just this little doll. I don't know what you would call it. It was half blanket, half stuffy. It had the head of an animal, but then the body was just a blanket. It was like this little blanket. And she carried that thing everywhere. And you could not get her to leave the house without Babu. Babu was everything. And so she held on to Babu, and Babu went everywhere with her all the time. And my sister being the smart mother that she is, she realized that Babu is going to get really dirty. And Babu, if if you're with Babu all the time, Babu not going to stay clean. So she devised a system where she bought a second Babu. And whenever my niece was asleep, she would sneak in, and one Babu would go out, and one Babu would go in, and the other Babu would go into the laundry. But the thing is, my sister has four kids, and so she's a very busy mom. And the kids get all over the house. And I guess one day my niece went into the laundry room and she discovered Babu too. <laughs> and so from that day forward, there was no more rotating out baboos. It was just baboos both with her all times. <laughs> she wasn't even upset about there being the existence of a second Babu. It was actually the greatest day of her life. There's two of my favorite thing. And I get to have them all the time. And so Babu went everywhere with her for years and years, and probably, probably too long she kept Babu until finally Babu was retired. But we all have those possessions, right, that we think of as we think back to our childhood. And then we get older, and those things start to stay in the closet, or maybe they get put in the yard sale, and you kind of let go of those things. And as we get older, we still have things we hold on to. We still have possessions that we love. They just look a little different, right? Maybe it's your car that no one else is allowed to touch but you. Or it's a house. You've just all you've ever wanted to do is own a house and you're finally a homeowner and this is my baby and your weekends and your time off work are just spent working on the house and there's always one project after the other. Or maybe it's a cottage you finally, you know, you've saved up, you finally have a cottage and in the summer you get to go off on the weekends and you're not at church this morning, you're watching online from the cottage, right? You're sitting out on the deck by the water um that's my parents all summer long right or maybe it's a boat right you you love fishing you've always had to fish from the shore you finally have a boat but we all have these possessions that we hold on to and the only difference when we get older is honestly just the cost maybe the size of those items but we all want these things and maybe for some of us it's not material stuff so much as um a a job, right? It's a position at work. It's a salary. You finally hit the salary you've always dreamed of hitting. You finally got the job, the promotion that you've always wanted. And these are all things we desire and things and goals that we've set to achieve. And so today we're continuing our series called Made for More. And we are talking today about how we are made for more forever. We are made for forever is kind of how I say it. And so we all grow attached to possessions and status in this world. But how how does how we look at those things change whenever we change our perspective and we look at it from the understanding that we are made to exist beyond this world? We are made to exist forever. God's promised us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. We've talked about that here many Sundays in New Hope. We just had Easter where we celebrated Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And we know that the gift he's given us is eternal life and forgiveness for our sins. And so we are not made to be temporary beings. We are made for forever. And so with that context, how do we look at those possessions, those things we have on earth, those things we hold so tightly to, those treasures and those possessions and how do we measure those things against the treasures that God has given us, the promise that He's given us, the great gift of forgiveness that He's given us? And so today we're going to read from Philippians chapter three, verses seven through to 11. And we're going to hear from Paul, who was writing a letter of encouragement to the church. He was trying to encourage these people. These were the early days of the church. A lot of exciting things were happening. They were also hitting a lot of roadblocks. So he wanted to encourage the church. And if you're unaware of Paul's story, he went from being pretty much the leader of the opposition of the Christian church. He was going around, and he was spending his time petitioning against Christians. He was trying to get them locked up, sent away. And then he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus that changed his life, and he completely flipped sides, and he went on to be one of the main leaders of the church, and he wrote much of the New Testament. And so here he was trying to encourage the church, but he's also giving them some advice. Some advice on how to live a life with the understanding that we are made for forever. And so hopefully we're going to look at that advice today and try to apply it to our lives. So let's read from Philippians, starting in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for this opportunity to gather together and uh, just share from your word. God, I just pray that uh, your spirit would be working among us this morning and that we would hear from you today. And God, I pray that the words that uh, I'm about to speak this morning were given from you. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, people would hear your voice, not my own. And Lord, we just thank you again for Paul and just the lessons that you taught him and, and uh, he recorded and were able to learn from this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So as we just read in that passage, Paul lost whatever was gained to him personally apart from God. He had his reputation, he had his heritage as a Jewish man. He was high up in the religious world and he had many religious achievements. And he would lose most of these by following Jesus. He accepted a higher standard of living. We see this in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what he's saying there is, when a person becomes a Christian... God's taking away the bad, but he's also taking the good, and he's making it even better. So he takes away the bad, but he takes the good in us, and he makes it even better. The missionary Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so although Paul had lost his religion and his reputation, he gained so much more by choosing to follow Jesus. If you don't know the story of Jim Elliot, you should look it up later to see the things that he had to lose, and yet he still counted it all as gain. And so how do we live a life made for forever? First thing is, we need to have the knowledge of Christ. We need to have the knowledge of Christ. Going back to Philippians 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So an important distinction that I need to make here in needing to have the knowledge of Christ is that there's a difference between having knowledge about Christ and actually knowing Christ. It's one thing to know everything there is to know about something, and then what it is to actually know someone, know something, to have a personal relationship with it. Paul had access to all the historical information. He had access to all the writings. He was able to look up and study. He was able to read the stories of Jesus and what he did. He was able to read the Old Testament and know that a Messiah was coming. And so he had all the information before him. And he knew about Jesus. He had heard about him. But it wasn't until Jesus came in and met him face to face, and he had a personal relationship with him, that he truly knew Jesus. It was on the road to Damascus where he miraculously interacted with Jesus, and Jesus came in and met him face to face, and that's when he started to truly know Jesus. And so we can know all the things, we can study all the books, but unless we're experiencing it, do we really know something? My dad right now is traveling through Alaska. I don't know where he is right now. um, But he's been driving for a long time now. He started in Ontario, in Ottawa, where my family lives. He got in his SUV, he packed up. It was the day after Mother's Day. He was smart enough to stay home for Mother's Day. Got in the car and he said, see you later, I'm out of here. And he drove to Alaska. He had this crazy idea that he, he thought, I want to drive the Alaskan Trail, I want to drive through Alaska. And so he drove to Alaska, and he lives out of his SUV, he never stays in hotels, he just has a mattress in the back of his van. He actually posted a picture, I think, yesterday that he was on a beach near the ocean, sleeping for the night. And, uh, and so he's just someone, though, that before he went, he would have spent hours on his phone or on his computer researching, researching everything finding out all the stops, all the places he was going to go, asking is it worth it to go to these places. He's also someone that's not afraid to talk to strangers, which if you're traveling alone to Alaska, you kind of have to get that way. And so he's even told me while he's there, he's meeting all kinds of people and asking them, hey, what about going here? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to go there? And what did you think when you went there? And so he's a guy that he always does his research. He always makes sure any Christmas gift I get, if I ever get an appliance or something like that, he always has a story of now I went to the store and it's not the best one, but here's why it's the right one right and and uh and so he's a guy that does his research right and and so here this is Mount Denali, and if you don't know this mountain, uh, it's the highest peak in North America. it has the highest peak and uh one of the things actually that he research before he went is that it has like 80% cloud coverage, so normally you don't get to see the peak. But he got very lucky, and this is a picture he took on his phone. And as you can see, there's basically no clouds. He was able to pretty much see everything. And so he was saying that that's kind of a very lucky and rare thing to get to see. But that is the highest peak in North America. And uh, it's one thing for us to look at this picture and say, wow, that's beautiful. And I'm sure there's been many paintings done of this mountain. Many pictures taken similar to this one. Even if you go to Google and you search, there's even more breathtaking pictures. But the reality is I can say I've seen that mountain, I know that mountain, I know I can study it, I can know the height, uh, I can know that it's got the highest elevation, I can know all those things. But then when I asked him to describe what it was like to actually be there, you can tell that it's just a whole different experience. To actually be in the presence of that mountain and see God's creation before you and just it's so hard on a picture to really grasp how high that is. But you read the numbers on the screen, and you go, oh, that's pretty tall. But to actually be in the presence of this mountain and see it before you and, and just see the the magnitude of it. And so it's one thing to know about something, but it's different to really know and experience. For me, kind of a less significant experience, uh, but still a cool one. I grew up in Ottawa. and. If you haven't heard of from me or spoken to me before, you wouldn't know this, but anyone who's spoken to me for more than two minutes knows I'm pretty obsessed with sports and hockey and um, still in my grieving period for the Leafs, but less you know, listen, it's life. It happens. We'll, we'll be back next year. <clears throat> but as a kid, I got really lucky. I grew up in Ottawa, and uh, in Ottawa, we had an NHL team, and actually, my church could see the rink from you walk out the door of the church and you'd see the rink right across the highway. And so one of the cool things about growing up in Ottawa is I got to go to games because if you know this about the senators, they don't fill the rink very often, so tickets aren't that much. Um, so I would get to go watch Sens games, and, and I still remember going to my first ever Sens game. As a kid, I was obsessed with stats. I was obsessed with players, knowing everything, and I was always watching hockey And it was one thing, right, to know all the stats, to know all the players, to watch on TV. But the second I got to go to a real game, it all changed for me. It is so much faster in person. Whenever they hit the boards and you see the boards rattle and you feel the power of the hits, you think, they are crazy for going out there. And you see every NHLer and all of a sudden you think, is everyone 20 feet tall? These are not humans and and just the crowd and the noise, and it just the NHL in person, and I've been to the NFL as well, and I've been to baseball games, and just seeing all these pro sports in person, it totally changes your perspective, because you realize that on TV, they look like ants, but then you go there, and all of a sudden, there's these giants on the ice in front of you, and, and you go to the NFL, and you're used to seeing the overhead, and all of a sudden, you're in the crowd, and you see like 70,000 people all surrounding you, and they still kind of look like ants because it's a football stadium, but it's much louder and faster. And uh, and so the whole perspective changes, and you realize just how special these athletes are, and you see just how fast and how amazing it is. And then for me, my relationship with Jesus completely changed whenever I went on a mission trip to Mexico. I was 17 years old, and to that point in my life, I'll be honest, I was kind of just skating by through youth group. I knew a lot about the Bible. You could put me in a Bible quiz, and I'd do pretty well. I knew my stuff. But I wasn't really doing anything to have a relationship with Jesus. I wasn't really trying to, to know him personally. And so I went to Mexico, and I had 10 straight days where I actually lived out the gospel. It tells us to love your neighbor, take care of the orphans and the widows, take care of those less fortunate And ten straight days, all we did was loved on the people of Mexico. We took care of the widows. We took care of the sick. We took care of the needy. And those ten days, I realized I didn't really know Jesus at all. And by the end of that week, I knew that my life needed to be different. I needed to change some things. I needed to get to know Jesus better because I didn't really know him. And so I had this new level of intimacy in my relationship with Jesus because I finally felt like I was starting to know him. And so I didn't just know about him. I didn't have, but I knew him. In the book of John, Jesus is praying to the Father. And here's what he says. And this is eternal life that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17, 3. What he's saying here is that the gift of eternal life comes from knowing Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with him. And so, do you know him? Do you really know him? Or do you just know about him? You understand all the rules. You've, you've uh, you read the fine print before you signed on to join the Christian life. And every week you go to church and you send your kids down to Hope Kids with Pastor Mariah and... Maybe you even volunteer, you ask Jetty, can I join the the greeting team or can I join the worship team? And you look on the outside like you really know Jesus. But are you actively loving your neighbor? Are you taking care of the poor, the widowed? And so how do we live a life made for forever? We need to have the knowledge of Christ. And secondly... We need to have the righteousness of Christ. In Psalm 3.9 it said, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So no amount of law-keeping, self-improvement, discipline, or religious effort can make us right with God. Righteousness comes only from God. And we are made righteous by trusting in Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's talking about Jesus' death on the cross. His death paid the price for us, and when we choose to follow him, his righteousness is poured into us. God is trading his righteousness for our sin. He's giving us something of immeasurable value for something completely worthless. There's this man named Chauncey who I read about this week, and he's from down in the southern states, Missouri, I believe. And back in 2016, he was a 16 year old boy. And he and his mother, at this time, they lived together in a small house where he slept on the floor. They didn't have enough money for a bed for him. And he regularly was missing meals, and he wasn't getting any of the proper care. Wasn't going to the doctor, wasn't going to the dentist, any of those things. Because they just didn't have the money. They were doing all they could to get by. But they couldn't, uh, they couldn't get enough money for most things. His clothing was mostly old and tattered. But that's all he had. And so what he used to do back in 2016 is take the bus across town and go to what he called the Rich Kroger's, which is a grocery store down in the States. But he would go to the rich part of the town, go to the grocery store, And he would walk around and just offer to people, can I carry your groceries if you buy me some donuts? The kid just wanted donuts. And he kept getting denied time after time after time. And he just kept on pursuing, kept on pushing because this guy was desperate, right? He didn't have anything. And he just wanted to eat some donuts. He wanted to have some food. And so he kept on asking. And eventually he got a yes. He finally met a man who said, yes, I want to buy you some donuts. Let's talk. And what this guy did is he didn't just stop there. He, he went beyond that, and he realized that this guy, Chauncey, when he got talking to him, he realized he's a pretty good kid. He had good grades in school. He was not really getting into any trouble. He, he was just a kid living with his mom who was just trying to help out the family, trying to get some food. And so the man kept asking him questions, and he kept getting to know him, and he said, listen, I want to help you further. What, what can I do to help you? And so they came up with a plan where Chauncey basically said, I want to get a job, but I can't afford to get an ID because he's 16, right? He can't afford to get his driver's license. He he just wanted a government ID because that way he could get a job. And then he said, I love mowing lawns. If I had my own lawnmower, I'd go mow everybody's lawn. So the guy said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and help you get a lawnmower and get an ID. The man went home. He put Chauncey's story up on GoFundMe, and he said, I'm trying to raise $250. I want to help this guy Chauncey. I want to get him a lawnmower, and I want to get him a government ID. By the time that the GoFundMe was finished, they had raised uh, almost $350,000. People were so overcome by this story, they just fell in love with this kid. He started putting videos up of him, and he was just such an infectious kid, and he, he started going over their house. He met with the mother. And eventually what they did with the money is Chauncey and his mom bought a new house. They had beds in that house that they were able to sleep in. And, uh, and it completely changed his life. They got him into a better school. They got him into uh, a better situation. And, and this person who, who organized this, he started a foundation, and they started helping other children in the area. And this has continued on to this day. And so this kid just went to the store looking for donuts, and his life was changed forever. Now, here's the reality Chauncey and his mom, I don't know that much about them. I don't know how they got into the situation they were in. But they didn't deserve $350,000. They did nothing to earn it. That's the reality. There was nothing, you know, he's not that good at mowing lawns, right? He may may be the best lawnmower in the world, but he's not good enough for $350,000. But people saw someone in need and just said, I want to help. And so they did nothing to deserve it, but their debt was forgiven. They were given all these things. Their lives were changed forever. And so how amazing would that be one day to just look at your account and any debt you have is just wiped away? Paul, in his life, he had a goal of righteousness when he was a Pharisee. All he was going after was righteousness. Righteousness but it was self-righteousness. It was a works-based righteousness that he could never attain. He thought, if I just say all the right things and I do all the right things and I I could just, if I can just follow all 600 plus rules to a T, I'll be perfect. But when Paul trusted Christ, he lost his own self-righteousness and then he gained the righteousness of Christ. He looked and he looked at his life and he realized that without Christ, he was spiritually bankrupt. But when he invited Christ into his life, his spiritual bank was filled. And God promised him that he would never have his sins written against him again. So we were made for forever, to spend eternity in heaven with our creator. But the only way to gain that is by trusting in him giving up of our own self-righteousness and attaining the righteousness of Christ. So are you someone right now that, if you were to look at your life, you realize that you haven't really given up of yourself over to Christ. You haven't given him everything. You've yet to to attain this gift because you're too busy going after your own self-righteousness. And the reality is if you've never accepted Christ before, that's never a decision you've made. This is a gift that he gives you freely the moment you decide to follow him. And so we were made for more. We were made for forever. And so we, were, we, need, we know that we need the knowledge of Christ. We need the righteousness of Christ. And lastly, we need the fellowship of Christ. In Philippians 3.10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When he became a Christian, it was not the end for Paul. It was actually the beginning. His experience with Christ was so tremendous that it completely transformed his life. And this experience continued in the years to follow. It was a personal experience as Paul walked with Christ. He prayed and he obeyed his will. And he sought to glorify the name of Jesus. And when he was living under the law, when he was was a Pharisee and he was so focused on his self-righteousness and his inward beliefs, and when he was living that way, all Paul had was a set of rules. But now he had a friend. He had a master. He had a constant companion. And it was also a powerful experience as the resurrection power of Christ went to work in Paul's life. Christ now lived in him. He wasn't alone anymore. Paul went from following a set of rules and regulations to feeling like he actually had someone to go to for advice. Someone to listen whenever he was needing to complain. God wants to hear from us no matter what it is. Whether we're yelling at him because we're angry or we've just had the greatest day of our lives. He wants to know. Someone to share his deepest desires to. I think a lot of people think of God in this way, that he's this almighty being who sits on a throne and looks down upon us and judges us. That there's no real personal connection to him. But what Paul's telling us here is that if we live our life with an understanding that we are made for more and that we are made for forever, we also need to understand that we need fellowship with Christ. There's an understanding there that he wants to interact with us daily. He wants to hear from us whether it's good or bad. He wants to hear your complaints. I promise you that. But I also promise you probably won't like what he says back to your complaints. And so if you regularly have fellowship with God, it will deeply enhance your life. If you understand that God isn't just this being who's there to judge over us and check off whether we're following the rules, but he's someone that wants to be an intimate part of our lives, be a part of our daily discussion, be a part of our our high moments, our low moments. He wants to be there with us for all of them interacting. A few years ago, I was at a youth weekend in Kingswood, or at Kingswood in uh, Sussex, New Brunswick. And um, it's encounter weekend if you've never been, so it kind of looks like any other youth rally. This one was not that weekend. This was... uh, just uh, you know, reliving my glory days. You might see the blurry guy at the drum kit back there and recognize him. But uh, I once was cool. <sighs> anyway, let's. Long gone, long gone are those days. But a few years ago, I was at a youth. I was at the youth weekend encounter, and uh, I was actually there as a leader this time, as a youth pastor. I was with my youth group. And I brought a small group of teens. Before I was here, I was at a church in New Brunswick in a very small town. And I brought a small group of about 15 teens to Kingswood for Encounter Weekend. And I had been at the church for about three years at this point. And we would had a lot of cool things happen in the youth group. Um, When I got there, the youth group had been shut down for about a year. You know, we had four kids come on our first youth night. And uh, by this point at the youth group, we had about 20, 25 kids coming. And none of them went to church. They were all just community kids. Your typical small town, it's the biggest advantage the church has in small towns is nothing's going on. So come on over to youth group. And so we just had a chaotic youth group with kids that just, from all kinds of different situations and home lives, that, uh, that were tough to understand sometimes for a kid that grew up as lucky as I was. Um, and it required a lot of grace and a lot of patience and a lot of prayer and a lot of a lot of things but but at three years in I kind of felt like I hit this wall I was getting frustrated because it just felt like I was going nowhere with the group nobody was a believer, nobody had accepted Jesus at this point um, aside from like a couple of the kids that did go to the church there was one or two and uh and so I just felt like I'd hit this wall with the group, and I, and I wasn't sure. I just felt like my message was falling on deaf ears, and I started to question, "Am I, am I the right guy for this group? Am I the right person to be here?" Um, I started making it about me, as we so often do. And uh, and so I started to complain to God, because I knew that I knew this, that I needed fellowship with God. I knew that God wanted an intimate relationship with me, and so I just we were in a rally. It was the closing rally. A band is up there playing their songs. The kids are all jumping up and down. And I look over at my group, and they're all just kind of standing there, looking like they're bored, even though they always tell me they love it. right? But I just see, the bo- I see bored faces. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm just saying to God, like, am I even supposed to be in youth ministry anymore? Like, do I need to resign? Do I need to move on? What is, you know, what am I doing? I felt so lost. And I felt like I was the problem, and it's me, 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 me. And then God did something for me as I was talking to him. And the only way I could describe it is it felt like he said, I want you to see these teens the way I see them, through my eyes. And in that moment, I was so overcome with emotion that I actually fell to my knees. I couldn't stay standing. And I started to ugly cry. If you've ever seen an ugly cry, you know what that is right? I'm just, right? Just tears, tears streaming down my face. And I've never had that happen in my life. But I saw these kids the way God saw them. And I felt so just in pain because I just felt how confused and lost they were. And that they were just looking for someone to give them love. And God was sitting there saying, I love you. And they just weren't, they weren't looking back. And they were just out of his reach. And God said, you got to keep pushing because I need those kids and you're going to, I'm going to use you to get them. And so as I sat there and my teens looked at me like, he's crazy, <laughs> right? Um, it took about five minutes, but I finally started to compose myself and get up. And, uh, and I just knew right then and there, I said, okay, okay God, like, yes, I, message received loud and clear. I'm not giving up on these kids. And we left the rally that night. We're on our way to the car, and a kid comes up to me, and he says, Hey, I think I want to become a Christian. Because whatever was going on in there, I want to be part of it. And I led the first kid from the youth group to the Lord that night. Just minutes after I was ready to give up. But because I have fellowship with Christ, and because I have a relationship with him, because I knew enough to go to him and seek him out and ask him, He was able to share with me something that would change my life and help me understand that I can't give up and help me to understand what he sees in these teens, the hurt that he feels whenever he sees them walking away, and just how much he wanted them to accept this gift he had for them. And so I knew after just how happy he was to see one of those kids finally make that choice. It says in Galatians 2 I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God isn't just the man upstairs as you may have heard said but he's actively seeking a relationship with each of us. He's looking for fellowship in fact he demands it of us. Because when we accepted Christ, if you made that choice, he lives in you. He's interacting with you daily. He's given you the gift of his Holy Spirit. You can lean on him in times of need. And so, I live by faith in Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We were given this gift of eternity in heaven when Christ died on the cross for our sins. We were made to live for forever. We weren't made for this temporary world that we're in. And as Paul teaches us in Philippians, the gift of forever does come with some sacrifice. It does require some change. There may be some pain along the way. But the treasures that we gain, the riches, the gift that he's given us freely is worth so much more. And so in our walk with Christ, if we have the knowledge and the righteousness and the fellowship of Christ, we can confidently say that we have this gift. And we can say confidently that we were made for more because we were made for forever. We were made by Christ in his image. So we're going to close in prayer. The worship team is going to come up. I just want to pray this morning for everyone. I just want to ask you, whether you're here in person or online, um, just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I just want to ask everyone this morning, and if you're online, you can text your response to our, our prayer. That number will be on the screen for you. But if you've never made a decision to accept this gift, this gift of forever, eternity, we want to pray for you this morning as a church. And so if you just raise your hand up, we want to be praying for you. If you want to accept Jesus and commit to this life of following after him. Amen. And maybe you're here, and you have made that choice in your life. You've accepted Jesus, but you've realized this morning that you're not, you're not where you want to be in your relationship with Jesus. You've let distractions come in and get in the way, and you've allowed things of the world to kind of distract you, and you realize that maybe you haven't had fellowship with Christ lately, or maybe you don't feel like you have the righteousness of Christ in your life, but you want it you just raise your hand so we can pray for you this morning? Amen. Amen. If you did make a decision this morning for the first time, um, we have cards at the back that you can sign on your way out and uh, take the starting point. We have a tradition here that if you do make a decision to follow Jesus, you light up a bulb on our hope sign. And our hope is that we continue to fill that as the year goes on so do that this morning but let's pray Lord we just thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word God and we thank you for your servant Paul uh, God and all the things that uh, that he's taught us and God we just pray that uh, we would not take for granted the the gift of eternity that you've given us God and Lord I just pray that you would be in my life and be working on me as I continue to uh, just try to shape myself in the best way to to be a follower of you, God. And just be with everyone this morning, and especially those who raise their hands, God, that you would just be working on them and that your Holy Spirit would be helping guide them and lead them as they, God, just continue to try to be the best servant of you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.